Hello you filthy animals, and welcome back to the Old Metal Bar Steward podcast, brought to you by 25 Years Later Media and the Ruminations Radio Network. I am your host, the Old Metal Bar Steward himself, Neil Gray, and we're starting off the show with the sad news of the passing of entombed AD's LG Petrov. Last year, Petrov announced that he had incurable cancer, and tragically, he's lost his brave battle against this disease. I'll be honest here. Entombed weren't my cup of tea, but having said that, I fully appreciated how they were always wanting to push the boundaries of metal. As far as I'm concerned, any band that tries something new within our chosen genre deserves the utmost respect, and Entombed AD and LG Petrov were no different. So the news of his passing is not just a sad day for death metal, but metal as a whole. Sleep well, brother. You will be greatly missed. If you joined me seven days ago for the first ever episode of The Old Metal Bar Steward, you'll know that I gave you a little insight into what makes me tick and how I've come to have a lifelong love for the world of very loud music. And if you didn't join me, then why not? Where the hell were you? Got something better to do with your time, have you? Bad listener. Anyway, it got me thinking about how the format of this show will develop as we go forward. Now, believe it or not, I don't really have a set idea of how this whole thing is going to grow. But I figure as I have about a million different stories and love the sound of my own voice, and I'll start each week with a tale from my sordid past, and hopefully you'll be entertained by my waffling. Today, I'd like to regale you with how I got my first taste of the greatest vocalist to ever pick up a microphone, the one and only Janis Joplin. I have a strange relationship with Janis Joplin. It all began when I was 21. I had a massive nervous breakdown. This was due to the fact that I'd spent the previous nine years of my life getting as fucked up as I could, whenever I could, on whatever I could. It was so bad, in fact, that they sectioned me. For those of you that don't know, being sectioned is never a good thing. And if they slap the number eight after it, you can pretty much guarantee you'll find yourself in the nearest mental institution with no chance of escape until they can plaster a Simpsons-like sane stamp across your forehead. This was all down to the fact that I had a heroin habit that Keith Richards would have been proud of. I'd also lost my two closest friends within the space of four months. One went via the needle. The other committed suicide when she realised she couldn't live without him. You could say I took it badly. Another way of putting it would be to say that I went batshit crazy and dived headlong into smack while topping it off with enough alcohol to kill a small army. It was around this time that I started to notice things weren't what you'd call normal. I was sleeping all day and waking up at around 10pm to sit up through the night getting shit-faced. I must have gone about six months without seeing daylight outside of the time I'd spend watching the sunrise and yet, as far as I was concerned, everything was just peachy. One night I went to the bathroom and couldn't shift the feeling that there was somebody in there with me. I ran around in circles, trying to catch up with whoever it was like a dog chasing his tail and when I did it was me, wild-eyed and as mad as a bag of badgers that had just been poked with a pointy stick. Under the circumstances, I feel I reacted as most people would have done, and ran screaming for the bedroom to hide under the duvet. I suddenly snapped back into reality and figured that I'd either been on the nod or tripping balls, but I still couldn't shift this feeling that something wasn't right. For some reason known only to my twisted brain, I had to look out of the window, and when I did, I saw another version of myself stood in the pissing rain, staring up at me with a look of insanity so etched onto his face that it still gives me nightmares from 30 years later. I'm not sure what happened next, 
According to my partner at the time, she found me in the kitchen screaming at the top of my lungs and brandishing a carving knife. I have zero recollection of this. What I do remember are four very large police officers kicking the shit out of me for my own protection before slinging my ass into the back of a car and taking me to the local station. From there, my life didn't get any better. I ended up being thrown into the local asylum. And if I wasn't insane before I went in there, it didn't take long for me to acclimatise to my new surroundings when in Rome and all that. As we weren't allowed anything sharp, I took to biting. Anything or anyone that came in range of my teeth was on the receiving end of a missing chunk of it, or in my case, flesh from my arms. Back and forth we went, day after day, the orderlies trying to restrain me from myself as I did my best piranha impression. When a few weeks had passed and I realised that I wasn't really getting anywhere with this act of defiance, I decided to be a good boy so I could at least get 30 minutes a day outside of my room. On a first supervised trip to the garden, I met a young lad who changed my life. We'll call him Stevie. I was sat on the bench feeling sorry for myself when this teenager approached me and jested to sit down. I motioned that it was okay and he joined me in my pity party. He wasn't big on talking and that suited me down to the ground, but he did have some earphones on and seemed to have a smile on his face like the Cheshire Cat. I was curious. In a sea of madness, what could he possibly have to be fucking happy about? Before I had a chance to ask him, a woman about 30 came over and joined us. Hey, she said. Hey yourself, I managed to reply. Stevie giving you shit, she smiled. Stevie looked up at this point and laughed the weirdest laugh I'd ever heard. No, I replied, grinning for the first time in months. He's no problem. Good, she continued. It's time he went inside anyway. Nodding at her, he stood up, then paused and pulled out a notepad and a crayon. He wrote on a piece of paper and handed it to me, along with the old-fashioned walkman he had just been listening to. Then he went back inside the madhouse, waving all the way. I looked at the woman. Okay, that was strange. Not really, she said. Stevie likes to help out. What's with the notepad, I inquired. Oh, she replied, Stevie can't talk. When he was 13, he had undiagnosed manic depression. He was always complaining that life didn't feel right and that he didn't know where he was going or what he wanted. But nobody listened to him. So he got tired of people not listening to him and he cut his tongue out. Stunned, I sat there, not knowing what to say. But, she smiled, he's obviously taken a shine to you. He doesn't just let anyone borrow his walkman, you know. As she walked away from me, I looked down at my hands and opened the note. It simply read, you need this more than me. Mind blown, I placed the earphones on my head and hit play. I'm not a religious person by any stretch of the imagination. Shit, if there is a hell, then I've done more than enough to earn my seat at the table. But the first time I heard Janis Joplin cry, summertime, and the living is easy, I heard the voice of God. I sat there transfixed. Every Jack Daniel soaked word that fell from her lips soothed my ravaged soul. The passion, the desire, the blatant pain she had been through washed over me like a baptism of fire and I felt reborn. I managed to get two more songs in before they shuffled me back off to my room, but I was a changed man. I didn't care anymore about the drugs or the booze or getting my shots in against the man. All I cared about was hanging out with Stevie and listening to the same Janis Joplin tape over and over again. For the next 12 months, Stevie and I were inseparable. We spent all of our time discussing every last imitation of every single note that Janis sang, which is really hard to do with a guy who has to write everything down. He even snapped off one earpiece so we could listen to it together. Every song on that best of was dissected, bisected and resurrected by two madmen 
trapped inside a fucking nightmare. But we were together, and we had Janis Joplin to light the way. When they cut me loose a year later, I was sad to see the back of the place, believe it or not, mainly because I knew I'd never see Stevie again. Still, even now, when the whiskey runs hard and the demons in my head start whispering, I know all I have to do is put on some Janice and it will all go away. After all, freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose and nothing, it ain't nothing, honey, if it ain't free. In other news, I once had a crap so bad that it not only took about an hour to pass, but when it did, it put so many hemorrhoids on the way out, I thought my rectum had prolapsed. Panicked, and with a burn in my bunghole like i just shut out the sun, I filled the bath with cold water and plunged my savaged anus into it, which turned out to be the worst possible thing I could have done. The pain was indescribable. I screamed the house down so badly that my partner was halfway through the door with a phone against the ear dialing 999 thinking she needed to call the police as I was being murdered. It was easily the most painful thing I've ever experienced in my life. So when I say... I'd rather go through that a million times over than listen to the new Dirty Honey track, California Dreaming Again. You can imagine how I feel towards this song. I'm sorry, but Cock Rock died. Grunge killed it. We were all there. We all saw the body back. So what's this Dave Lee Roth wannabe think he's going to achieve by trying to bring it back to life? This isn't rock music. This is what happens when a bunch of drama students get it into their head that maybe... They can make a name for themselves by picking up instruments and pretending they have a certain amount of knowledge of a genre they're trying to believe for their own pocket. It's fucking awful. They sound like a third-rate thunder, and thunder was shite to begin with. It's rock by numbers. It sounds like what happens when a bunch of music executives get together and decide to form a band. Well, we've got an idiot and a hell, some nondescript guys who failed their audition for Extreme, and we better make sure we have a blonde woman in there just to cover the entire demography of horny 12-year-olds. They're the rock equivalent of the fucking monkeys. So do yourself a favour. Don't listen to this bollocks. It'll only encourage them. And while I'm on the subject of utter rancid gash, it seems that Machine Gun Kelly is going all in on his decision to try to fleece metalheads with their hard-earned money by teaming up with a YouTuber, somebody called Corpse Husband, to release a song about shatter teeth or something. First off, what the fuck is it with YouTubers? It's not bad enough that we have to watch these idiots... We have to put up with morons like Jake Paul prance around a boxing ring like he's the second coming of fucking Muhammad Ali. It seems that now we also have to listen to them trying to make music as well. And secondly, MGK, just because you were in the dirt doesn't make you a rock god. Now fuck off back to your mumble rap bollocks and being bitched about by Eminem and leave the real music to real musicians, you fucking schmuck. It seems that the old bastard Gene Simmons is backtracking on his comment that rock is dead. Gene's been saying this for a few years now, but when he made the statement a couple of weeks back, he's faced quite a backlash, including from the likes of Alice Cooper. Yet now he's saying what he actually meant was the business model isn't sustainable because everyone downloads everything for free and bands can only make money by playing gigs. It's okay, Gene Genie, I get it. You've only ever cared about the bottom dollar. That's been obvious ever since Kiss stamped their name on everything from dildos to coffins. But that doesn't mean other bands feel the same. Anyone who knows even the slightest thing about the music industry knows that gigging is the only way you make any money. Why the fuck do you think the likes of Motorhead or the Rolling Stones spent so much time on the road? What this sounds like, to me, is Gene's actually getting spooked that the amount of negative coverage his comments made might hurt the Kiss brand. 
So now he feels the need to justify his statement with, Hey man, I still support the Kurds. But I ain't falling for it. I'd have had far more respect for him if he'd either stuck to his original story, my lord, or threw his hands up and said, Yeah, you know what? My bad. I fucked up. And now I seriously doubt that Gene Simmons gives a flying fuck what your old metal bastard thinks. It's still sad to see him do even more damage to the Kiss legacy at every given opportunity. Corey Taylor's in the news again this week, which, as far as I'm concerned, is a good thing, as you can never have enough Corey Taylor. First off, he's going to be on, or already has been on, depending on when I record this, No Such Thing as a Fish, which is an epically sprawling 20-hour comic relief marathon. He won't be the only person, of course, but the concept is that 35 guests get to talk for 35 minutes each, and in doing so, raise a ton of money for charity. I was stunned when I turned on QI a few years ago and saw Corey Taylor sat on the panel, but he was funny as fuck, so I'm not surprised that they've asked him to be part of this, and as soon as I get 35 minutes free this weekend, I should be jumping on their YouTube channel to check out his appearance. I expect it to be sufficiently riotous. In more news from the neck, he's also been talking about the new Slipknot album that they're working on. According to the man himself, the music is brilliant and they're going to be entering a realm that they've never been to before. Now, normally, you could just put that down to the usual hyperbole that band members come out with while they're trying to drum up interest in their new record, but this is fucking Slipknot. I'm pretty sure interest is damn well high enough to start with. And considering how utterly amazing We Are Not Your Kind was, if Corey says the next album is going to be heavier and nastier, then you damn well better believe that it's going to be the kind of record that will finally etch Slipknot into the Mount Rushmore of metal. And finally... In an actual what-the-hell moment, someone has forked out nearly $11,000 for a copy of The Misfits' first ever single. Released in 1977, Cough Slash Cool only had a limited print, and there's only about 500 of them left in the world today. So they are officially rarer than unicorn shit, but considering the others sold for only a few thousand each, the step up to eleven grand is gobsmacking, to say the least. I mean, what the fuck does it do? I love The Misfits. Even the era without Dantic had some stomping tracks within its fold, but forking out the kind of money that you could use to buy a cheap car or two is fucking insane. But if you've got it, flaunt it, right? And besides, it's not the most ludicrous amount of cash parted for for a piece of vinyl. That award goes to the person who coughed up, and I kid you not, $790,000 for a Ringo Starr pre-owned copy of the White Album. It could have been worse, as it could have just been one of his bloody solo records. So there you have it. Another week, another load of insane ramblings from yours truly. As always, thank you for taking the time to listen to the Old Metal Bar Steward, brought to you by 25 Years Later Media and the Rumination Radio Network. And when you're done here, go check out the 25 Years Later site, as well as its sister sites, Horror Obsessive and Sports Obsessive. And as you're going to need something to listen to while you gorge yourself on juicy articles, then hit up the Ruminations Radio Network for all the podcasts you'll ever need. I've been the old metal bar steward himself, Neil Gray, and I'll speak to you next week. Until then, stay safe, stay metal, you filthy animals. been scared watching horror movies by yourself well now you don't have to 
Hang out with Ruminations of Redrum. All things horror, from movies to the latest spooky games we've played. Come hang out. But hurry. The killer's behind you!